News. 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 New York City. FAQ. Welcome to FAQ NYC. I'm executive producer Alex Brooklyn. And tonight we have a special election episode. What you do in that voting booth can change your life, my life, everyone's life. It's the Queens DA race and results are coming in. There were several candidates slugging it out in this race, but at the end of the day, it comes down to two. Tiffany Caban, the DSA darling, declaring victory, and Melinda Katz, declaring that she's not conceding until the every vote is counted. Emma Whitford, reporter extraordinaire, is going to talk to us from the Tiffany Caban party. Professor Christina Greer and Harry Siegel are in my apartment waxing philosophical on the nature of queens, criminal justice, and the universe. Here's Emma Whitford. Calling in, Emma. Can you uh, can you set the scene there at 10:40 uh, p.m.? Sure. So we're at Laboom on Northern Boulevard. Uh, there are hundreds of people here right from the beginning. Chabon had a small lead, so the energy's been like really consistently high. Um, there are a lot of progressive politicians here. You've got Jessica Ramos, Julia Salazar. Dan Court, Ron Kim, um, Larry Krasner, the progressive DA elected in Philly is here, Linda Sarsour. Um, and basically it's a lot of chanting, a lot of sweaty people, tightly packed, um, chants like Black Lives Matter, a lot of chants of people power, this is what democracy looks like. I would say at the same time, it's pretty tense. Um, it's incredibly close. And, you know, standing around the reporters for the last half hour, they're whispering just, I don't know, is there going to be a recount? Are we going to have to wait for, um, you know, any absentee ballots, that kind of thing? So, so as of now, it's 32,000 votes for Tiffany Caban and 31,397 for Melinda Katz with 95% reporting and about 3,500, I think, uh, absentee ballots also also in the mix. We're recording Thursday at 10:40. I don't know if we'll know what's up even in the uh, in the morning. I think there's a a lot of excitement regardless of how close this this race is um, and how that reflects on Kabbalah's grassroots effort. I had a question for you, Emma. So you said there was a lot of chanting of Black Lives Matter. Um, give me the demographics of the crowd. Any Black Lives in there? Yes, there are. <laughs> um, I would say it's a quite, quite diverse crowd. I would say half of the chanting has been in Spanish. Um, there's a really uh, large uh, Latina uh, subset in the crowd, and also several, you know, Asian American supporters. Um, there have been some progressive elected officials from Flushing and Queens, and in Manhattan, who have been really supportive of Bond. So, you know, I would say that it's a it's a pretty diverse. Right. Well, just for our listeners out there, you know, as of 2017, the census says that Queens uh, has a population of about 2.36 million people. And when you add up all of the voters for this DA's race, we might be barely scratching 100,000. 80,000. 80,000 at best. Right. Um, So, mind you, now 2.36 is just the the voting age population, or just the, the population. That's not even the voting age population. That's not the voting eligible population. Those are totally different numbers. But we do know that 80,000 is incredibly low for uh, the size of Queens. 
Yeah, and I will say that I was at polling places all day in the eastern part of Queens, in the north and the south, and the prevailing mood was low turnout. In the middle of the afternoon, some polling places that have had like 80 people vote, um, one at 6.30 p.m. has seen like 330 people. So this is not like lines out the door. And there was also an election in the uh, Bronx today, sort of, where, uh, where, where Dar- Darcel Clark, the district attorney, ran fundamentally unopposed. Um, I think wherever this one ends up, this is a big hit for the uh, Queen's machine and the uh, status quo that's been. Oh, yeah. Well, I think that even if Katz pulls it out and wins, it's still a hit for the Queen's machine because it should have never been this close, according to the Queen's machine. And so I think that this does open up the Manhattan DA's race, uh, what, in two years, because fortune favors the bold. So if we know that Cy Vance is questionable behavior. Oh, there's a lot of excitement right now. Uh, Yeah, there's a lot of but it looks like Savannah's up to 39.7% of the vote, with Katz at 38.3, and Katz is putting a speech on, on New York One. Thanks for close to call. Emma, I think, uh, thank you. Go go hit the room. We're going to listen to Katz, and then uh, we will connect with you later in the night. Thank you so much. I'll check back in. Thanks, guys. Emma. I'm so excited by the energy that this race has caused throughout the country, it seems like. Yes! Because it seems like everybody wants to come into our borough of Queens County. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I have always maintained, and I continue to maintain, that this, ladies and gentlemen, is a serious, serious job. This is a job that will dictate how our children are raised in this borough, that says how people treat each other, how we keep our families safe while instituting true criminal justice reform in the borough of Queens for them to use as a prototype across the rest of the country. Because we can do it here, we can do it everywhere. Yes! So, we are so proud. We are a borough who stands together, watches each other's back, and we are here for each other. And we continue to be here for each other as we continue to count every single vote that is out So it's 10.50, and we know now that Melinda Katz, who uh, hilariously boasted about all the energy uh, this race has brought to Queens, show up at the forums next time, is not conceding. Uh, she's going to wait for all the votes to be counted. Which I mean, is reasonable. it show up at the forums or is it show up to FAQ when we call? Always call us back. <laughs> I'm just saying. Our track record is such that if you come on the show, you get reelected or elected. We're waiting still for uh, Caban to speak and to hear if she uh, declares victory or not. We're not going to know who's won this primary tonight. What we do know is this is a 33,000 vote or so revolution and it's an indicator that like the old democratic machinery now run by uh, Gregory Meeks formerly run by Joe Crowley who was defeated by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez who endorsed Caban which is big in a race this close isn't worth very much at this point that the, 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 the protections that, that the, the old machine was supposed to give you and like you know the whole weapon family is not uh, right. translating to anything well even this win I mean, even if Katz pulls out a win it's a loss 
right? I mean, it should never have gotten this close. This is a nail biter, right? This might be, we're counting absentee ballots. We're going to figure this out on the 26th, 27th, 28th. Who knows when we'll figure it out, right? I mean, if we're thinking about machine party politics, it's like the machine is weakened, no matter what. Not saying that the machine is destroyed, but it's definitely weakened because if the machine were really what it used to be, Caban would be a blip. It doesn't matter if you got money from L.A. or Miami or Puerto Rico, Chicago. It doesn't matter. Like, she would not get the attention. But there's, there's the shadow of AOC. There's the shadow of progressive politics wanting something new. There's the shadow of Joe, Joe Crowley being, you know, the symbol of yesterday. Ergo, so is, you know, so many people thought Katz was as well and Meeks too. I mean, here's my concern. My concern is that and correct me if I'm wrong, folks write in if you feel the need, but I am not aware that Caban did any real substantive campaigning with black communities in Queens. And as we talked about when we interviewed the candidates, if Queens is made up of 23% black folks, but there are 80% of the arrests and incarcerations, and you don't think that Southeast Queens is an area that you need to actually get votes, and you now realize maybe you don't need them, I really worry about what is the future of black people in Queens with a new DA, presumably if Caban wins, who didn't see the need to actually talk to black people in order to get to office. And that is a real concern for me based on the demographics and the incarceration rates that are going on in Queens in 2019. Well, we need to see all of the, uh, the numbers. We know that Caban did very well in Western Queens. Uh, we know the Cats thought that Southeast Queens was going to be a stronghold and that having the, the support of the political establishment and organized labor was going to do it. I think there's a real question now about whether or not people aren't getting directly paid off by that machine or are directly vested in it, feel any connection to it. Uh, I think you can ask the same question about the current or maybe now previous, pretty soon establishment. Like, what are they providing to, to the homeowners there? Which, by the way, when, when, when the financial crisis passed over New York with barely a trace in 2008, it racked Southeast Queens. There were yeah. foreclosures. Southeast Queens are yeah. black homeowners. Yeah. Who, who, who in, in a lot of cases, that, that was all of their, their lives' money and equity was, racked up, was wrapped up in these homes, and then the financial currents dragged them away. And most of the rest of the city hardly noticed. It was, it was a terrible thing. Black I, people notice. We're I, always the no canaries doubt. in the mind. If Caban was not speaking to that constituency, and, and so few people voted, it's hard to, to, to come to something broader. Also, you know, Greg Lasak got 16,000 or so votes. Lanceman, who dropped out and endorsed uh, cats. <laughs> I love the way you say Lance. Lanceman. Hey, Rory. <laughs> you know. No, it's sort of like... <laughs> Where's <laughs> he got more votes than, than than what as of now appears to be Caban's margin after dropping out of the race so late they couldn't get him off the ballot. It, it strikes me as almost unfair to blame like the newly radicalized say DSA voters and new arrivals in Queens for going out and doing work and they, they knocked on like seventy thousand doors or whatever if all the other groups don't do work and then a tiny number of right. votes is enough. It's like everyone else has to step their game up. We should have elections people are vested in. This is going to be a national story now from all the people who felt guilty about missing the AOC story mm -hmm. until it happened. Um, and then no one could say they weren't prepared. This is a year after um, yeah, AOC solid. and then the IDC defeats. Like, like, like These incumbents have no excuse and they, they, they seem like fat and lazy to me, respectfully, or, or not so respectfully. <laughs> well, I mean, I think, but here's the thing. It's like power corrupts, right? So if you've been 
in charge and at the helm and you just get social promotions and essentially the system has worked such that you just keep going from one elected position until you get term limited out and you move on to the next you know with minimal qualifications in a lot of ways right that's the way the machine is worked that's what the machine is for that's why you buy into the machine and i think this so when election, you have no criminal court experience and you're melinda katz the bar association finds you qualified right which found caban who's a public defender i think sensibly not qualified she has no managerial experience she, right. she's, she's been doing cases but you know i was talking to someone today who's a, a lawyer and he was saying, you know, you can sort of teach someone managerial experience. You can sort of help them usher along. I mean, I think, you know, as someone who teaches negative ads to their students, I thought Melinda Katz's ads were pretty solid. I mean, they're pretty standard negative ads in the sense that she's poking holes at Gabon. But if you just turn around, it's like, hey, Melinda, what about you? Have you tried the case? It's like, we're not talking about me right now. <laughs> this is a negative ad against Gabon. And I mean, that's the beauty of the negative ads. All of them have an element of truth to them. Until, you know, it's, it's sort of like the Obama-Hillary, right? Obama saying, I didn't vote for the Iraq war. Well, shit, neither did I. Like, neither one of us were in the Senate. Uh -huh. Like, okay. So, I mean, this, this attack ad worked. I mean, obviously, Katz got dinged for some racialized uh, undertones that some people accused her of. Meek said, you know, I didn't feel it. And so, I mean, I think this is also we're in a very interesting time of sort of you see black establishment members, Biden-level, Katz-level, black establishment riding hard for establishment candidates saying what you see as racially coded I don't there's nothing to see here drones are good and then you have the more progressive parts of the party it's like no there's some undercurrent of like a racialized aka racist language here and so there's this tension between sort of the black old guard who's just who stays in this protectionist phase right and it's like I get reelected and you know, I've been in office for God knows how long, and my son will be in office for however long, and, like, that's just how we just keep it cruising. And you're having, you're seeing new voters who are just like, that's not good enough. Protectionist phase isn't good enough anymore. And, like, you know, kissing the boot of the machine is just not what we're into. So, so the Democratic incumbent protection bullshit has always been that it's a giant pain in the ass to vote. And with the new Democratic majority in Albany that's going to start to change next year. And there's actually going to be a two-week period to vote. But I went to vote this morning. I went to the same place I've always gone. I got nothing, no mail or email telling me otherwise that I ever saw. And uh, they're like, oh, no, th this isn't you. And I said, how many other people have come here today and said this? They said, oh, about 15. Well, how many people have voted? About 35. So 30% of the people, and this is at uh, about 9.30 in the morning in this low turnout election, had gone to the wrong place because they changed my, my voting location, didn't mention it. Uh, my wife, don't, don't tell, Sarah, hopefully you don't listen to this episode, didn't, <laughs> did did, didn't vote. She, 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 sometimes, sometimes. <laughs> and then, then she tells me how wrong, how wrong I am about things. But okay. it is very satisfying for me to see the Democrats who have built a system based on no turnout so that they know right. their 3,000 votes right. and for this judgeship are enough. Well, um, that's the dirty to, to little To see them secret. ground up in their own gears. Right. I mean, that's the dirty little secret. Democrats don't, you know, in primaries especially, because, I mean, so many districts in this country are so sol solidly Democrat or solidly Republican. I mean, the dirty secret is that Democrats are just as happy with voter suppression or voter, you know, 
obsolescence or whatever it is where it's like we know who comes out we don't want nobody who nobody sent we have our base and like let's just stick with these same faithful 3000s the senior citizens the people from the projects and you know the diehards and we'll leave it at that and I think we're just in a different type of politics just because I, I think you hit the nail on the head part of it is that these newer candidates are hungry and they're using 21st century tactics, right? They're using more social media, they're raising money in smaller amounts and getting people really invested in um, in candidates. But also it's like, you know, the incumbents are just, they're, you know, they remind me of like Nero, just sitting there in their purple robes, just, you know, waiting for the next election that they know they don't really have to think about. And the tide seems as though it's shifting just a touch. This is a huge test for reform. So Larry Krasner, the new progressive reform district attorney from Philadelphia, is at Gaban's victory party right now. Gaban has offered, she, she's basically said incarceration should be entirely a last resort. She's talked about uh, decriminalizing prostitution. She's talked about uh, arresting ICE agents in courtrooms. You know, it's a very aggressive agenda. People trying to make the case for her being qualified. I don't know if we'd have pointed to to Ken Thompson, who was a a private defense attorney prior to uh, becoming the Brooklyn district attorney and and actually sort of sneaking up once he was in on the NYPD and others and say, I'm just not going to prosecute these marijuana arrests, for instance. Um, Kaban does not have any managerial experience. So separate from the quality of her ideas, the big question is going to be how she pulls them off. The people who are in District Attorney Brown, formerly May Rest in Peace's office, a lot of them have been there for decades. It really does feel like stepping into a, an old Queens. A lot of them are going to go. She's going to have to work out who's on board, do that quickly, figure out how she's going to rearrange the office. The good news is that uh, the, the reform movement people, who haven't needed that many votes because the Democrats have been so lazy, have something of a template now. They've had wins in other cities. Um, there, there's been the Working Families Party has been involved in a lot of this. Um, uh, George Soros has been involved in criminal reform issues for some time now, has, has sort of been ceding money and expertise to these campaigns. So there is something of a, a kit for how to come on. But this first year, assuming she carries this off tonight and wins the general, will be a huge test and a very closely watched one. And with the Post and others pointing to every terrible thing that happens as you see how this goes now. And what she's offering really is a radically different model of what a prosecutor does. Right, which, you know, I'm all for it. Like, because clearly whatever we've had before is just lock up Negroes and Latinos, you know, willy-nilly. So I'm into it. You know, at least I'm curious to hear what her plan is and to see who she surrounds herself with. Listen, when Krasner came in, he was like, you know what? Y'all got to go. Like, the vast majority of you, you're into this old guard nonsense of just, like, locking people up and asking questions later. And so it was a swift knife, but he got the office that he wanted and sort of set a precedent. So I'm curious to see if she's going to go with the Krasner model or if she'll, you know, have an advisor who wants to be more of an institutionalist and gradual change and, you know, you don't want to come in and sort of lock people's heads off. Okay, we're at Caban headquarters. Tiffany Caban about to speak. Let's listen in. I want to thank each and every single one of you for coming out here to celebrate with us tonight. They said we could not win. 
every day to earn your trust. Thanks for calling back in, Emma. So, sure. So, so Melinda Katz is not conceding, but uh, right. Tiffany Caban has declared victory. What's the uh, what's the mood like there? Um, well, it's sort of. I mean, we're it's, the venue is a nightclub, and it's quickly sort of morphed, morphed over into nightclub mode. Uh, the lights are down, flashing strobes, and uh, you know some some music playing. Um, Kavan was very unequivocating in, in declaring victory. Um, but there, it was also interesting towards the end of her remarks. Um, she was very explicit about wanting to be held accountable by the voters, um, which it seemed like the audience appreciated that sentiment. Um, and she talked about earning the trust of the people who didn't vote for her. Um, and there was also a lot of talk in her remarks about, you know, being a young woman, being 31 years old, um, you know, not fitting the traditional mold of what people might expect from a district attorney and a lot of, you know, excitement around around her acknowledging that. Yeah, that latter part of the speech was a little reminiscent for me of the Obama when he came out and declared victory. It was like, everyone slow down. You're excited, but change is going to take time. So don't expect changes mm-hmm. overnight. She was very explicit about the organizations that she felt, you know, drove the movement, or uh, like, you know, really were the engine behind her campaign. I think that's what she used. And she called out specifically the Working Families Party and the Democratic Socialists of America. I saw somebody cracking on Twitter. I guess Twitter is real life now. Um, this is a big <laughs> moment for, for, the, uh, for the DSA and the WFP after uh, Ocasio-Cortez, who was, uh, you know, this, this is one gentrifying, you know, swath of, of Queens and the Bronx. The IDC races were local. This wasn't a huge turnout, but uh, Queens is a big place, and they, yeah. they produce the votes. Also, you know, before, right before Caban spoke, there was, uh, the mic was handed over to um, Black Lives Matter chapter of New York City, um, and there was like a lot of time and attention given to Black Lives Matter, um, and there was also, uh, you know, a call out of specific people who have been who have died in the criminal justice system in recent years in New York, uh, including Khalif Browder and uh, Laylene Polanco, uh, the trans woman who passed away on Rikers just a couple weeks ago. Yeah, and I believe she had Sean Bell's mother there and Eric Garner's mother. I mean, she's definitely sending a message. I think it's uh, Mm -hmm. interesting how this will affect the mayor's race and the Manhattan DA's race in the future. Mm -hmm. Did you get any sort of sense as to projections was anyone talking about the next, say, year or two, or was it just staying in the present of the celebration of the evening? In terms of the future, and you mentioned the Manhattan DA's race, none of this is official, but there has been, you know, some speculation and whispering among both reporters and people who watch this stuff closely that, um, you know, Dan Court might be interested in being the next Manhattan DA, and he was in the room. So. I mean, I think it would be, you know, hard for anyone to not be blessing in the environment that she was just in, um, you know, incredibly high energy. Um, someone remarked on my Twitter feed that this crowd really likes to chant. You know, it was not like a tough room to work at all. Um, she also had her mother and her father and her brother there who, you know, were really like cheering her on. And um, 
she seemed very confident. And it was a confidence, too, that I noticed in some of her more recent, um, some of the final campaign ads that she put out. Um, she says y'all a lot in this sort of, like, cheeky way that sort of uh, <laughs> seems to evoke this, this may, perhaps newfound confidence. Emma, anything else you want to leave us with before you head back into the, uh, the room and keep reporting? And thank you for, uh, for joining us again and step it out. Yeah, I just, the last thing I would say is that uh, the race hasn't been officially called. And like you said earlier, um, you know, Melinda Katz is not conceded. Um, so, yeah, I guess there's a sort of, there's a, a stay tuned element of this a little bit, um, kind of paper ballot and such things. Emma, and so let's just say Caban has declared victorious, you know, from this particular race. What could November look like? Could Katz or LASIK or someone else jump in and run against her in November? Well, that's interesting. I mean, there was a moment there when Betty Lugo had talked about, you know, switching to the to the Republican ticket. She got barely any votes. I mean, she's not a contender. I don't know. I would, I would imagine that LASIK didn't perform as well as he had hoped. But he seems perhaps the most likely to, you know, court a, a Republican voter base. Um, the the yeah. paper ballots, I believe, aren't going to be counted until um, starting July 3rd, right? So if Katz doesn't concede, she can wait until they start the absentee ballot, paper ballot counting. Um, and that's a week from, from now. We'll see. But, yeah, the mood here definitely is victorious for sure. Well, thank you guys uh, for, for having me on. Th- thank you. Thank, thank you again for coming on. Enjoy the party. <laughs> All right. It's getting on midnight. Look, my big thought is that this is a huge win for the newly organized left and a huge test for them going forward in New York with what they can do with it. This really moves the conversation about justice reform, the, uh, the pace of it and what a prosecutor does forward very quickly. Tiffany Kaman talked in her speech about being held to the, to the things she'd said. Of course, uh, legendary justice reformer Bill de Blasio w- w- was in attendance and wildly, no, he was in Miami um, for the Democratic <laughs> debate. Scott He's got a JV debate tomorrow, come on, uh, be fair. Respect. <laughs> if this victory holds up, it's a huge warning to other candidates and to electives right now as they peer to their left and think about what's happening and how Tiffany Caban performs in this office over the next year or two under tremendous scrutiny and having really offered uh, the moon, something very different from, from what any New York prosecutor's office has done up until now, will be a, a tremendous test for this movement going forward. And one other thing. I suspect that the same way that, that you've seen really activated voters on the left and in the western part of Queens come out and organize, um, that you're going to start seeing countervailing forces organizing more. That, that, that if you have the, the, the political center of gravity shift far enough from, from where passive non-voters are, some of those people start turning out, organizing, and advocating. And lastly, I think that these are really good reforms for the most part that she's after and that there's space for them in the low crime city we're in. But I also think that this is very much the backdrop that uh, Donald Trump wants to run for re-election against. Mm-hmm. Um, as somebody was joking to me, so, sort of ticking off parts of her agenda and parts of what happened in Albany this year, you know, nothing's going to make the Donald happier than for an illegal immigrant 
out of jail with no cash bail, who's been protected from ICE agents, uh, getting legally high uh, while driving with his new license into a car to see a uh, state-sanctioned and taxed prostitute and hitting a kid. I I don't say that just to be cute, but I think as each element of that happens, that you're going to see uh, um, not just New York Post headlines, but politicians forced to make much more difficult decisions. Uh, when, when, When you're actively changing how justice works, there are going to be difficult border and marginal cases. It's in a lot of ways much harder than just being able to rail against Trump and the things he's doing in the wrong direction once you have uh, the levers of power, at least within New York. Um, Chrissy? I'm here. I'm fading. But you know, you know, Harry, I always say there are two things I care about, cities and black folks. And I think I'm just a touch concerned, right? Like, I, I, I buy the rhetoric of Caban. Like, I get it. I, I appreciate the 21st century way of viewing the position, but I question how you can, and I want to see the numbers and the stats and like how Southeast Queens went for her. But I, I'm really concerned about her sort of with the DSA WFP connections. Like you're talking about criminal justice, but did you talk to any black people? Like, I don't know. Maybe she did. I hope she did. But if you've put together this series of coalitions and you haven't talked to the communities that are most affected by them, and we know that Queens is 23% black, but 80% of the incarcerations and the arrest, I mean, are you, is this like theory that you're talking about or is it real practice? And so that to me is what I'm curious about and I want to know more about. Um, you know, she said Black Lives Matter. I get it. I mean, I could say Black Lives Matter. Anyone could say Black Lives Matter. I could say, you know, Brown Vest Matter. I don't know. But like, what do you do with that? You know, she made big promises, which is nice because she can be held to some account for them. And maybe, you know, if she's not, some of those black voters who didn't show up this time or voted uh, or voted for her, you know, you know, switch like she is putting herself on the hook for uh, for those results, I think. Yeah. Well, I wonder, because, I mean, on the other hand, as black voters have seen time and time again, if you're not part of the coalition that gets someone in, you're not part of the conversation when they're in and they tend to ignore you. So I know that. You know, black voters are part of the agenda. Obviously, if those of you who listen to our podcast, you'll hear none of the candidates answer my question accurately or explicitly about black black citizens of Queens at all. No one hit that nail on the head. That's my one question. Um, but I, I do think that, you know, rolling with Krasner, is, that's a start. I think that he'd be a good advisor. I mean, obviously, New York is not Philly, but he's been in the job for a little bit longer. He's, you know, his story's been insane you know he's been attacked by former uh people he's prosecuted i mean he's he's been in the game and he's been committed to the game and if caban is really thoughtful about this position then i think queens is really lucky to have someone who's only 31 who could be in the position for i mean i don't know if she needs to stay there for 30 years but who could be in the position for quite some time and really change that office I think, you know, maybe because it's late, I'm vacillating between my pessimism and my optimism. So let me just sort of like be explicit. I've already laid out my pessimism and my concerns. But my optimism is she's part of a surge. I hate the word wave. But she's part of a surge um, of candidates from across the country who are younger, who aren't, you know, your sort of Biden-Bernie, you know, older white male demographic. Um, But they're coming with experience. They're building coalitions, which to me is the most important thing of really intellectually 
uh, geographically, racial, ethnic, you know, gender, all these, you know, quite uh, diverse coalitions. Um, and really thinking about these institutional structures in brand new ways, which I think is refreshing um, in a lot of ways. And I think that there's a lot of potential there. That's my 11.55 p.m. election night analysis. Shout out to all the Queens DSA organizers dunking on me right now on Twitter for saying this was a big test of their operation. It was, and in a seven-person race, you got about 35,000 votes, and that was enough for a win. And a win is a win, it looks like, and that, 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 that's a big deal. Um, shout out to the McSilver Institute for Poverty Policy and Research. Shout out to Emma. Um, shout out to uh, my brother Jake, because he's a good guy. Everyone who gets up to the mic at the award shows always thanks God first. I mean, dag, Harry, you just started with DSA. You just forgot God. This is the future it's liberals want. Shout out to a lot of people who have done a lot of hard work. And, you know, I think, unfortunately, yes, there are 2.36 million people in Queens. 80,000 voters actually turned out, which is not a large number. Shout out to every single one of those voters because exactly. you had a say Exactly. And so that's, see, you're stealing my optimism, doggone it. But, I mean... Shout out to all those voters and the people who possibly couldn't vote, um, who still knocked on doors and were part of this process for the last few months. Um, you know, this is democracy is only, it only works if, if we buy into it. You know, we are the creators of it um, and we're the ones who sustain it. So thank you all. And even people in Brooklyn and, you know, the other boroughs who came out for, you know, these races that, you know, oh, no one's really my ballot. They're judges on your ballot. These are judges who are making decisions about families and incarceration. So anyone who turned out to vote today in the sweltering heat or the rain in the morning, um, we appreciate you at FAQ NYC just because it's all about, you know, local politics is what is the bedrock and the foundation of American democracy. And without it, we don't exist. Thank everyone who listens for listening. And we will dedicate this episode to Saul. Uh, the super volunteer who Ben Max and I overheard uh, talking with great enthusiasm about uh, Tiffany Kaman uh, in a coffee place. Um, who's been, I know has been going out, hustling, volunteering, phone banking, canvassing, knocking on doors, uh, and doing all the things uh, um, at a young age. 13, that, that I want my children to do, and I was not that person at 13. I, was, uh, I had no civic engagement whatsoever of that sort. I pulled the lever for Jesse Jackson. I did a little march in my schoolyard for Mondale. If you want to win, you got to play the game. So, so shout out to Sal. Shout out to the eight hundred thousand people 80, who could have voted. Eighty thousand. Mm-hmm. And the eighty thousand who did. And um, Alex is is doing a wheel thing with. This is I, like. Oh, I get yeah. it. I get it. It means we're supposed to sing. The wheels on the bus go round and round. Oh my God! No, wrap this. Up. Wrap it up, B. All wrap it up. The town. <laughs> I was like, I feel like I'm in the the world's longest church sermon, but I was like, how many times are we going to shout out to Saul? We get it. Saul, thanks. Good night. (laughs) Someone someone call me an Uber. F-A-Q. F-A-Q is brought to you by a grant from Civil, the blockchain company changing the economics of journalism. We are headquartered at the McSilver Institute for Poverty, Policy, and Research. This episode was recorded in Alex Brooklyn's fourth-floor walk-up rent-regulated tenement apartment. It was produced and mixed and mastered by... Tired Goblins. Goblins.
who have lost all sense of time and propriety. Time and propriety. I vote you in, I vote you out, my vote man, that's what it's all about. And every time I make the most believers plan, I'm right.